and you've tuned in to another episode of The Wellness Couch, where science and ancient wisdom collaborate through ABR 87.6 FM. And I'm your host, Katarina Morrison. I'm on my own again tonight, unfortunately, and so um, I'll see what I can do. But uh, we've got a great program on, and it uh, looks like I'll be talking quite a bit of things I can remember. So it's all about longevity. So how would you feel if you could actually extend your life by 10 years? Isn't that amazing? 10 years. What about 20 or even 30? What if you were um, not only able to extend your lifespan, but also your health span, the years that you spend um, disease and disability free? So that's um, obviously most important. So today, scientists around the globe are investigating what it takes to do just that, and they are closer than ever before. Now, answers may arrive just in the nick of time because, as you know, um, the silver tsunami is coming and we've got a groundswell of older individuals who will be retiring and facing a variety of health and socioeconomic challenges for themselves and um, for society, basically, as a whole. So the Western population is actually ageing. The estimates are that by uh, 2050, 20% of our population will be over the age of 65, compared to 15% today. Now, the Western lifespan is approaching 80 years for men, and um, it's 76, uh, and for women, it's actually 81 in 1950, life expectancy had people living eight years post-retirement, but today, retirement almost lasts around about 20 years. So um, it looks like where we are increasing our lifespan, but obviously, is it um, a healthy span? So the silvering of our population would not be in such a uh, it, it would not be such a concern, were it not for the fact that in today's world. Um, or advanced age is not accompanied by good health in the majority of instances. In fact, um, I know myself and with the clients I see, you've got people on at least five to eight different type of pharmaceuticals. So that's an indication that um, there's a lot of chronic disease around. So chronic disease is at an all-time high and our world, along with our bodies, are riddled with toxicity from the foods we eat, the water we drink, the air we breathe. Um, And even one grim statistic is that by 2050... Half of all Westerners, um, <clears throat> sorry, half of all Westerners aged 65 or older will suffer basically from Alzheimer's disease. So that's a really grim um, statistic. So toxicity plays a heavy role in the so-called age-related diseases that we're seeing now that are so ubiquitous today. Um, and it's likely a major factor in our uh, subpar global life expectancy ranking as well. Now, there are quite a few centenarians around too, and they're the fastest growing segment of the Western population with numbers actually doubling every decade. So by 2050, the number of people who will have reached the century mark is uh, is expected to exceed um, 1 million. Now, that's twice as many centurions in Japan as there are in the Western world. So centurions have better health profiles, as you've probably heard all along, than the average longevity counterparts, with 60% enjoying lower rates of heart disease, stroke and high blood pressure. 90% are disability-free at the age of, get this, 93. Isn't that amazing? At 93. Um, so as a group, centenarians are, re- are quite happy, they're optimistic, and they have extremely low rates of depression and other psychiatric problems that we're seeing, um, suggesting that personality traits may be one of the most significant factors in longevity. So super centenarians or individuals older than 110 are, as you know, very rare. There's about um, only one in seven million that actually have earned uh, that title. Now, we talk about is longevity inherited? 
and this is a very good question, so why do we actually age? Um, is longevity genetically programmed or env environmentally determined? And uh, why are increasing numbers of people living well beyond the century mark? And more importantly, what are their secrets? And, th and that's what we're here for. So the latest research does suggest that to a great degree, we actually decide how old we will actually get. So our mortality is not inherited to that it, to any large extent. But instead, the sum of our own habits has the greatest impact. And you've probably seen a lot of um, the studies that Bruce Lipton has done on epigenetics, um, pointing out these factors too. Now, the twin studies suggest genetic accounts for about 20 to 30 percent of an individual's chance of surviving to the age of 85. Science has determined that exceptional longevity is strongly associated with complex combinations of genetic and epigenetic variants. So you may inherit certain genetic variations that will dispose you to disease or decreases your longevity, but don't forget, you may also have other gene variants conferring disease resistance. So don't forget about that one. Thereby, that actually increases your longevity. Um, so if you're fortunate enough to inherit good longevity genes, woohoo! just realise that the best genes in the world are no match for poor lifestyle choices. If 25% of your longevity is determined by your genes, then what controls the other 75% do you think? So for those fortunate enough to inherit or not fortunate enough to inherit a fountain of youth genome or gene, you can still live a long and healthy life by targeting the same pathways with appropriate lifestyle. So epigenetics is quite big now, you know, the way you think, the way you feel, um, the exposure to the environment, um, that all has um, combining factors in, in longevity. So why not maximise the benefits of ageing? After all, ageing does have some, some wisdom is just one example. Another is the slowing of cell replication, which means that cancer later in life tends to be less aggressive than it is in childhood cancers. But before we dive into specific evidence-based strategies that I'll talk about at the end of the show for living a long and healthy life, it is actually quite helpful to understand something about how and why we actually age. So the latest scientific evidence shows that we actually have about um, uh, seven bi biology of ageing theories. Okay, so a critical issue in ageing research is determined whether the ageing process is controlled by one, several, or a multitude of underlying factors. So if it's a multitude of factors, then there's little hope of our altering our individual destiny. But if it's just a few factors, then we have a greater chance of influencing just how long we actually do live. So fortunately, evidence points toward the latter. Single gene mutations have, have been discovered in roundworms, fruit flies and mice that do suggest to scientists that a finite number of pathways actually do influence ageing. Now, um, we've got the American Federation of Ageing Research that I looked into, uh, th these theories, and they published a report with an overview of the theories of ageing. And these theories actually tie together many important biological concepts and principles such as um, oxidative free radicals, glycation, IGF, uh, mitochondria, and energy regulation. So I'll just go through them very basically so you um, have an understanding of uh, what science 
is uh, looking at today that accelerates um, ageing. So the rate of living theory, which all, although no longer accepted by modern day scientists, perhaps the oldest explanation of ageing um, is a rate of living theory. So ancient philosophers believe we possessed a finite amount of some vital substance. For example, we had a predetermined number of breaths um, or heartbeats. So when that substance actually ran out, it was the end of the line for us. Um, then there was the evolutionary uh, senseness theory. Evolution does not seem to be favoured by ageing. So that theory focuses on the failure of natural selection to affect late life traits. The term sentience refers to deterioration with age. And that meant certain undesirable genes and mutations um, do not express their harmful effects until um, you're older or later in life. And these cannot be selectively passed on to future generations because they don't express themselves until the reproductive years are over. In other words, natural selection, because it operates via reproduction, can have little effect on a later life. And these undesirable genes, they cannot be eliminated through natural selection and therefore they actually result in ageing. Then we've got the cross-linking or glycation hypothesis. That theory was based on the observation that our body's proteins and structural molecules tended to develop uh, dysfunctional attachments as we age. So they formed cross-linkages to another. They were inappropriate links or bonds and that caused problems by reducing mobility or uh, um, elasticity of proteins um, in the body. And even some research even suggested that cross-linking is, is the actual mechanism for ageing. Now, you might have heard the uh, term glycation. It's one of the main ways cross-linking occurs. Um, it's a glucose molecules that stick to proteins and transform them into um, brownish molecules called advanced um, glycosylation end products. Now, those molecules do interfere with and disable the protein's functions. And um, it's like this. It's, it, it's the uh, glycation that causes food to brown when cooked. And you've probably heard that, you know, if you're overcooked, it, it, it's, it's not good food. So additionally, um, evidence suggests glycation contributes to the formation of that protein found clumped together, um, particularly in the brains of, of uh, patients with Alzheimer's at the moment. So that's uh, that theory. Then we've got uh, the genome maintenance hypothesis. Now, that theory proposes that DNA damage and gene mutations um, are the actual mechanism for aging. And that's damage caused by oxidative free radicals, um, you know, the mistakes that happen in gene replication or outside environmental factors, such as what you're exposed to, like radiation or toxins that are part of our everyday life. So those resulting mutations that occur from that exposure in our egg or sperm cells can be passed on to future generations where those occurring in other types of cells, well, they can't be passed on. So our bodies have repair mechanisms to correct most of these disadvantageous um, mutations, but those that persist will accumulate and eventually they'll cause the cells to malfunction and basically die. And that's what scientists actually say results in aging. Um, we've got the oxidative damage and free radical hypothesis. You've probably heard so much about this. Um, so this theory suggests that aging is actually caused by oxidative damage by free radicals in our environment. Um, free radicals that are they're toxic byproducts from normal cell metabolism. Antioxidants neutralise many of these uh, free radicals, but those that persist can damage um, your DNA, the proteins inside you, and the mitochondria in the cells. So oxidative damage accumulating over time does cause ageing and age-related diseases. 
Now, we've just got a, uh, two more to go through, the neuroendocrine hypothesis. Now, the scientists say that the theory ties in um, ageing to the deterioration of hormone function. So as we age, the connections between our brain and the hormone system or the endocrine system, that actually becomes dysfunctional and that leads to a variety of problems such as we're seeing today, high blood pressure, um, impaired sugar metabolism. We've got uh, also sleep abnormalities. And a flood of recent evidence points to one hormone uh, pathway in particular, and they call it the insulin growth factor, which is IGF. That is activated by um, human growth hormone. And the levels are associated with a shorter life expectancy. But interestingly, this flies in the face of popular support for anti-aging treatments, which involve growth hormone injections and which increase that actual circulating IGF. So rather than extending life, growth hormone treatment may actually do the opposite. And a recent study found that people who genetically lack and ability to use growth hormone actually enjoy a lower risk of both cancer and type 2 diabetes. And the final one that scientists think about, the uh, replicative um, sensitivity hypothesis, that theory of aging has to do with cell division and telomeres. You've probably heard a lot about that telomeres. Are, uh, it, it looks like the end of a shoelace, you know, that uh, little plastic cone that's at the end of the shoelace. Think of telomeres as a protective end caps on chromosomes. The theory is that uh, repeated cell division leads to shortened telomeres and the short telomeres are associated with uh, faster ageing. Therefore, that actually reduces your lifespan. So when telomeres become short, they actually can break, leading to a variety of age-related diseases and conditions. And um, many human cells have a limited capacity to actually reproduce themselves. So most scientists believe the limiting factor is the length of the cell's telomeres. Each time a cell divides, it must first double its chromosomes so that each daughter cell receives a full complement of genetic material. Um, so for quite some time, scientists viewed telomeres as a sort of cellular lock that might hold the key to ageing. But the thinking now is that while telomeres may contribute to ageing, they do not govern it. Um, so that's a big uh, step that they've come. It doesn't actually govern it. They are merely one piece of the puzzle. And in humans, not all types of tissue contain actively replicating cells like the brain and heart, for example. Telomere shortening is not universal also amongst uh, species. So that's something that uh, scientists have found. Now, we all know about stress, don't we? So some common threads emerge amongst the various ageing theories and, and some of them are, you know, the free radical damage, the oxidation, DNA damage. Uh, we've talked about mitochondrial dysfunction and disrupted hormone messaging. They're key elements that actually um, contribute to ageing. But there's one common biological phenomenon that can wreak havoc with all of these elements and it's a common denominator, if you will. And that phenomenon... I think everyone knows, is stress. So physical stress as well as mental and emotional stress exerts powerful effects on the immune system and it really drives up inflammation, which is a key mechanism in ageing and disease. So stress also destroys cells in the hippocampus, something in the brain, um, which is part of your brain responsible for memory and retrieval. So it follows then that a good overall anti-ageing strategy might be to reduce the stress. And indeed, studies do confirm that stress is actually notorious, or well, a notorious ageing um, accelerant. So when we're stressed, our bodies begin producing the hormone, the stress hormone cortisol. 
Cortisol is linked to lower levels of telomerase and telomerase uh, prevents the, the telomeres actually shortening. So stress, especially when chronic, also tri- triggers epigenetic changes externally and meaning how your genes are actually expressed, you know, whether they get switched on or, or, or turned off. So a variety of lifestyle and environmental factors can actually increase stress in your body. And, and some of the stresses you'll probably already know and heard about, we're looking at poor diet, cigarettes, alcohol, uh, toxic chemicals, heavy metals, pharmaceuticals, EMFs, electric pollution, uh, just basic environmental pollution, and the list goes on. So you've heard of all those and how they can actually contribute to stress or epigenetic stress. One of the ones that the scientists have found recently, uh, the psychological stress has a huge impact on lifespan, and this might um, really take some people back. So just as with physical factors such as diet and toxicity, you've got the psychological stress that's linked to accelerated cellular ageing and um, increased risk for ageing-related diseases, although the underlying molecule mechanism remains unclear. Now, people with chronic stress, depression, anxiety or phobias... Um, even if they're socially isolated or traumas, they've all been shown to exhibit these shorter telomeres in, in um, experiments. So nothing is more illustrative of the lasting impact of psychological stress on health and longevity. Now, the, um, there's been a, a big study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, they call it the ACE study, and it's a large-scale epimed- um, sorry, epidemiological study about the cumulative impact of childhood experience on a person throughout the lifespan. And that study actually measures um, measured one exposure to eight categories of childhood abuse or dysfunction, ranging from physical or sexual abuse to neglect, divorce, domestic violence, and other forms of family dysfunction. And then it correlated with health, longevity, and overall function. So does your level of childhood stress influence how long you live? Through that study, it's an absolutely, and it's not a minor influence. In fact, that study finds that individuals who experience moderate to high levels of childhood stress may see, are you ready for this, 20 years cut from their lives. They also have a higher risk for everything from depression to heart disease, liver disease, um, uh, heart disease, alcoholism, suicide, uh, smoking, drug use, social problems, disability, and a disturbing array of other risks. They are also prone to poor academic achievement, financial strife, and maladaptive relationships as adults. So it does start very young. The good news is that stress is controllable and it's actually manageable to a large extent, don't you think? And all you need are the right tools in your tool bag. But I'll just um, I'll just talk about um, there was a small pilot study led by I think it was Dean Ornish published in the Lancet, um, quite a medical uh, magazine. So showed that the positive changes in diet, exercise, stress management, and social support may actually lengthen the telomeres. And he is actually quoted as saying, "So often people think, oh, I have bad genes. There's nothing I can do about it." But these findings indicate that telomeres may lengthen to the degree that people change how they actually live. So research does indicate that longer telomeres are associated with fewer illnesses and a longer life. And you'll probably recall um, that I spoke. we spoke about blue zones in one of our live segments. Um, across the Aegean Sea from Athens lies a little Greek island that's called Ikaria. 
Now, that's home to about 300 residents, and Incaria is special in the way that one-third of the island's population lives, one-third, to celebrate their 90th birthday, and that's twice as many as the Western world. Icaria is one of five longevity hotspots in the world. We've talked about the blue zones before, um, so you can go back and uh, listen to the podcast on the wellness cast about uh, the blue zones and longevity. Uh, the other four are Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya in Costa Rica, Okinawa in Japan, and Loma Linda in California. Now, Icaria, in Icaria, life is not a race. People focus on good food, active lifestyle, they focus on family, social connections, and of course, spirituality. The elderly play significant roles in the community. Significant roles. Now, stress is not only avoided, but it's practically forbidden. Uh, no one sets appointments, as you probably know when you're over in Europe, but as time is a highly valued resource, viewed and managed very differently. They sleep and awaken according to their internal clocks, and depression and dementia, really, over there, they're, they're quite rare. Not only do Icarians live longer, but they actually live healthier, which is so important. A typical Icarian diet consists of fresh garden vegetables, olive oil, legumes, potatoes, goat's milk yogurt, whole grain bread. Uh, they also utilise honey, wild herbs, herbal tea, uh, coffee and fish. Now, there's no processed sugar. This is really important. No processed sugar or refined food in their diet to cause any oxidative stress. Um, the Carians age in stark contrast to the to the Western world. Just, just, it's absolutely amazing. So now that I've gone through all that, one of the most important parts of this segment, obviously, are the strategies for adding years to your life. So you're actually, you know, you live life to your years. Now, unfortunately, in uh, today's medical model uh, for the elderly, the standard medical system deals with each disease actually in isolation. So rather than treating the whole person and correcting the underlying biological processes that have caused the immune system to run amok, the result is that the individuals get cured of one disease, such as, for example, as cancer, but they only to develop one, two or three years down the road once again. Now, rather than tackling individual diseases... Our focus in the Western world um, should be on extending our actual lifespan so we uh, live quite a lot healthier, not just living. Um, so who wants to live longer if those years are filled with misery? In order to achieve this, we really need to address the root cause of illness and ageing, and we need to intervene before the actual damage accumulates Um so like prophylaxis or preventative diseases. And we can actually do this by addressing um, some of the following factors. So some of those that I've actually put down are diet and nutrition, toxic exposure, physical activity, um, obviously brain fitness comes into it, um, having high quality sleep because as we age it tends to get disruptive, stress, dealing with stress, and living obviously with purpose and gratitude. Now, Let's go to a, a diet for longevity. And so as you, you saw the Icarian so aptly demonstrate, when it came to their diet, we need to get back to the basics. So whole foods with abundant fresh produce, grow your own garden. I've been trying to inspire people for years. And minimal processed food are necessary for optimal longevity. 
Other than eating cleanly, there are a few other dietary strategies that we like to look at or even science suggests may lead to a longer and healthier life. So while excessive food consumption leads to what we call metabolic syndrome, and that does shorten overall lifespan, the actual calorie restriction has been shown to flip on longevity genes and prevent or delay age-related diseases. You've probably heard about this at the moment. The problem is fasting long-term is not practical for most humans and nearly impossible to sustain for years on end. But what we do find that is quite sustainable at the moment is intermittent fasting or periodic calorie restriction. So a fasting-mimicking diet offers many of the same benefits as fasting, but without the downsides. Various versions go by various names. Um, we've got intermittent fasting, feast or famine diet, periodic calorie restriction. Um, you, you've probably heard it all, but in all versions, the purpose is that the calories are restricted for periods of time, followed by periods of eating normally. So when calories are intermittently restricted, the body actually maintains a lasting memory of optimal metabolic function. And there is even greater benefits if proteins and sugars are actually restricted. So fasting um, mimicking diets have positive long-term effects for the um, IGF levels. As you will recall, the IGF levels is associated with greater longevity. So intermittent calorie restriction also boosts cellular regeneration and rejuvenation, words that um, the elderly look for, as well as stem cell production. Cells are cleaned out during the fasting phase, and then they, they're actually rebuilt during the um, what we call the refeeding phase. And it's this is actually have proven benefits for blood sugar regulation, hormone function, fat burning, cardiovascular function, and overall immune function and longevity. So. Protein seems to have a Goldilocks zone, though. Okay, it's different for everyone. It is important to consume just enough protein to avoid losing lean muscle mass as you age, but not enough to activate the what we call the mTOR pathway. That one leads to um, uh, ex- accelerates the um, aging process. I've just been handed something. Um, so many foods and supplements also have been shown to to benefit longevity, and uh, but. To go into it today in the show is really beyond uh, the time of this show, but uh, you'll know that we've talked about uh, blueberries and berberine, um, which are rich in anti-aging polyphenols, and study shows that even blueberries slow down brain aging by two and a half years. It reduces cognitive decline, improves insulin sensitivity, and um, is anti-cancer, whereas uh, berberine, is quite a great herb. It's extremely beneficial for lipid profile and pl- improves insulin sensitivity. Um, even coffee, look, look according to um, NEJM, older adults who drink coffee have a lower risk of death overall than non-coffee drinkers. So, and there was no difference between caffeinated and decaf, which I find amazing because decaf a lot of times is uh, stripped uh, coffee beans. Uh, so. The mechanism is actually unclear, but coffee contains more than 1,000 health-benefiting compounds. Now, you've probably heard about flaxseed. So just one ounce daily can neutralise age-associated inflammation by modulating um, some of the lipids, a a type of fat molecule that plays a critical role in chronic disease progression. It also reduces blood pressure and arterial damage. One of the great herbs I've also got on the shelf is ginkgo biloba, and that... um, 
stimulates what we call brain-derived neurotropic factor. That extends the life of brain cells and long-term memory. I love my ginkgo. Um, But you do have to be careful if you've got uh, high blood pressure. Um, Some of these herbs do have... uh, or you probably need to speak to a practitioner because it, it can have uh, side effects. So it modulates the neural stem cells, increases brown, uh, brain circulation, and um, it's been effective as donsepil in treating Alzheimer's. And ginkgo plants themselves can live more than 1,000 years. Absolutely amazing. We've got green tea. Everyone probably has green tea in their cupboard. That contains EGCG, which is shown to produce aging slowing um, effects. It also has, has lifespan extending effects and uh, what we call mitochondrial biogenesis. Magnesium is a fantastic supplement. It does so much, but in this particular area, it supports cardiovascular health and longevity. It prolongs cell health and ability to divide. It prevents um, age-related diseases. It gives adrenal support. It adapts people to stress and um, it gives you that buffering effect for flight, fight um, hormones. It also helps you sleep better and it uh, helps reverse nighttime, um, what we call hormonal or neuroendocrine age-related changes. So it's, it's just such a beautiful um, supplement, magnesium. Now, you've probably heard about mushrooms. They're coming back on the scene at the moment. So they're loaded with antioxidants and age-extending um, nutrients such as um, vitamin D and glutathione. In one study, the acetic acid and reishi um, fraction in reishi mushrooms was found to increase lifespan and expression of longevity-related transcription factor, It also leading to an increase in 15 different uh, lifespan-extending proteins. You've probably heard about uh, Reservatol as well. It increases mitochondrial biogenesis. It's anti-inflammatory, anti-carcinogenic, which is anti-cancer, antioxidant. It uh, helps blood sugar levels, increases uh, blood flow. And the actual animal studies actually indicated that it may extend lifespan. Uh, turmeric. Everyone, Most people got turmeric in the garden, the one-stop shop herb for longevity, as we know. Um, it promotes elongation by increasing telomerase expression. It preserves brain health by preventing age-related brain damage, reduces oxidative stress, um, fantastic anti-inflammatory, actually. It pr- promotes mitochondrial homeostasis. Um, and then we've got vitamin E, which um, it's linked. Actually, vitamin E is actually linked to longer telomeres, particularly in women, where it reduces DNA damage and uh, slows skin aging and maintains the muscle. And um, zinc, zinc's a a great supplement as well that I use quite a bit, Uh, reduces oxidative damage, binds with certain proteins linked to inflammation and also age-related immunodeficiencies that makes your immune system quite good. Um, So they're they're basically like food particles and uh, supplements that we look at. What else can we do to minimise the damage and extend our lifespan? Well, we minimise toxic exposure. This is probably uh, self-explanatory. When it comes to damaging DNA and compromising mitochondria, environmental toxins really leave their mark. So we've got cumulative toxicity effects, uh, longevity. Uh, Take air quality, for example. So... Westerners that live in places with clean air are known to live longer. Many public health studies show that those who live near um, chemical factories and other polluting industries, they actually show a greater risk for um, dying earlier. Now, there's even, there isn't even an online tool um, that I use sometimes that, that's called Air 
Quality Life Index. Now, that was developed by a uni in Chicago. And what it does, it allows you to estimate how much longer you would live if your country of residence actually reduced air pollution to comply with the um, either their national or WHO standards. So have a look at that. It's, it's a tool online called Air Quality Life Index. Now, the best thing you can actually do to lengthen your lifespan and health span is eat cleanly, avoid toxic products, and filter your water and air. Supporting your body's natural detoxification efforts is also critical in today's actual toxic world. Now, another significant strategy to live longer is, hey, let's get physical. So research published in the um, American Journal of Physiology, it indicated that exercise may actually minimise and even reverse age-associated declines in the cell function. Now, this has wide-ranging implications as the health of your um, cell or mitochondria, that intimately affects every single cell, tissue and organ in your actual body. So the cell density and function um, actually declines as we age. And while that is a natural process, it can be accelerated by excessive, um, here we go again, epigenetic uh, factors like stress, environmental radiation, chemical exposures, which include pharmaceutical drugs, um, nutritional deficiencies, and inherited um, cell DNA defects. Now, exercise has a benefit of rejuvenating mitochondria and prompting your body to make more of them. Whereas if you don't exercise, that tends to hasten um, the cell degeneration. Now, in older adults, high-intensity exercise is associated with preservation of telomere length, which might relate to changes in telomerase um, activity. Now, telomerase physiology is complicated, and some warn that lengthening telomeres by uh, overexpressing telomerase may actually increase one's cancer risk. Perhaps moderation is the key. Another reason exercise is so beneficial, uh, is such a beneficial anti-aging strategy, is that it actually stimulates um, what we call AMPK activity. Now, that stands for um, um, adenosine monophosphate activated protein kinase, which is a cellular enzyme that's found in your cell's body. It's a kind of master metabolic switch, and it controls just um, a whole lot of energy pathways in your your body, basically. Um, So... Besides this um, exercise that that increases AMPK activity that can be boosted a number of ways, fasting or calorie restriction, high-quality sleep, um, we've even got cold water immersion, as we see a lot in Apollo Bay now, and by eating various foods, these um, AMPK-activating foods include turmeric, legumes, green tea, red wine, because of the polyphenols, and blueberries. And also don't forget uh, extra virgin olive oil, which the um, centurions, particularly in the blue zones, use quite a bit. There's also a Vietnamese herb called um, Genostemma, and that's also a powerful AMPK activator. Now, when we talk about AMPK and exercise, how much should we actually exercise? So what I say to people, any amount of exercise is better than none. And according to the latest Harvard studies, um, link individuals who do not exercise at all have the highest risk of early death. Those who actually exercise just a little bit can lower their risk by 20%. And those who meet current governmental health guidelines, which is 150 minutes 
of moderate exercise per week, will they enjoy a 31% lower risk of premature death? Now, the sweet spot, obviously, however, seems to be in uh, tripling the current exercise recommendations. So that means walking 450 minutes per week, or that ends up being all a little over an hour per day. That lowers the risk of premature death by 39%. Beyond that, the benefits start plateauing. So it's really obvious that um, you know movement is crucial in adding longevity to your life. Now, don't forget about the brain as we age too. So sustained engagement in learning new skills actually activates working memory, um, episodic memory, and reasoning. And they're all important in maintaining your cognitive function as we actually age. Studies actually show that um, ongoing engagement in cognitively demanding novel activities what what enhances memory function in older adulthood. It isn't as simple, though, um, as we've been told, as doing crossword puzzles and pseudocode. The brain must actually be challenged with new tasks that you're not used to actually performing. So why don't you try adding a new hobby such as, um, you know, we do an Apollo Bay, they they quilt, um, digital photography, or you can play a different game, or volunteer at something that you actually haven't done before, just to stimulate your brain and and, uh, rewire the brain for neuroplasticity. Now, um, Sleep is obviously very important in um, anti-aging and adding years to your life. Sleep actually clears out brain toxins, and this alone helps optimise both lifespan and health span, which is quite important. So one reason sleep is so critical is it facilitates a function of um, the glymphatic system. So your brain's trash removal system actually operates um, quite well when you sleep. It works 10 times as hard to remove toxic proteins like the ones responsible for Alzheimer's damage. And that's why sleep is so important. It's quite significant in anti-aging. And a University of Oregon study shows that middle age or older people who get six to nine hours of sleep per night, well, they have a better cognition um, than those sleeping either fewer or more hours than that. All right, so that's sort of like a goldie locks um, time to get six to nine hours of sleep per night. Now, managing stress is obviously crucial as well. Uh, And we've already discussed that stress management is critical for living a long and healthy life. Um, So another evidence-supported practice like Tai Chi, which is akin to moving um, meditation, Tai Chi boasts a mountain of science backing its health effects for people of all ages and abilities from the healthy young adults to the elderly um, or wheelchair ban for, for stress relief. And as an overall tool for stress management, we've also got techniques called EFT, which is an emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. That's really hard to beat, fantastic for reducing stress. So tapping can be learned at home and it's quite effective with a, right, a wide variety of conditions from, particularly they're found um, through science and research, PTSD and major depression to general anxiety. And uh, even everyday stress can disappear with um, tapping. And the, the thing is, even children can learn tapping. It's so basic. If you want to live a longer and happier life, consider adopting a pet. Now, we probably all know this. Science actually shows that pet owners are reaping quite an impressive number of health benefits, which include reduced risk for heart attack and stroke. And uh, There's obviously lower levels of pain, better immune function, and yes, improved longevity. That's what they're finding if you're owning a pet. In fact, um, 
the Swedish, their large study found that dog owners have a lower risk of death from all causes, all causes, especially those who live without the company of other humans. So adopting a pet um, is quite useful to adding years to your life. That said, if stress and anxiety are your primary concern, and this is what did come out from that research too, you might opt for a cat because cats, um, and sorry dog lovers, they do appear to be better stress reducers. um, And that was found in the research. (laughs) Unless you don't like cats, obviously increases stress. Um, Now, one of the last ones that we can look at is purposeful living. And uh, I think the Icarians and a lot of those people that live in the blue zones actually... um, you know, really uh, put a lot of uh, attention into this, a purposeful living. When it comes to psychosocial factors that can extend your life, having a purpose actually rises to the top of the list. So one way to define purpose is um, that it's a self-organising life aim that organises and stimulates goals, manages behaviours, and it does provide a sense of meaning. So Purpose is what links every, everything together, really. A sense of purpose is much like the Japanese concept, um, you know, the life worth living, which they believe is associated with a, a longer life. And um, we should take note that the Japanese are actually doing something right. The feeling that your life is worth living brings mental and physical benefits in a kind of positive um feedback loop. So not only is purpose one of the most commonly cited values by centurions that we've seen in the blue zones, but recent reports show that um, a sense of purpose is an actual mortality predictor across adulthood, which means people with a greater sense of purpose are actually motivated to engage in healthier lifestyle behaviours, such as eating their veggies or they get more exercise. Um, Purpose is also linked to sleep quality as well. And in the Bloom Zones, as we've discussed previously, people value healthy rituals, community and um, meaningful purpose. They don't identify with disease and they don't even compare themselves with their neighbours or friends. They are quick to forgive others and they're even quicker to forgive themselves. Um, And speaking of community, loneliness or social isolation is another influence on life expectancy. In fact, in a large meta-analysis, people who reported being lonely, they were 26% more likely to have died during the seven-year research study. So that 26% more likely um, if they're feeling quite lonely. So mortality risk was 20% high among those who were socially isolated versus those who were not, and 32% higher for people who lived alone versus those who do not. So, you know... I think in this case, pets really do come in handy, the adoption of pets. And an interesting study was performed using um, African grey parrots. Now, the grey parrots are known to be highly intelligent and uh, the parrots with parrot companions, they actually had longer telomeres um, so than parrots that uh, didn't have any partners. So let's look at uh, gratitude. So does gratitude affect life? expectancy. So through this study, absolutely. The more gratitude that one feels, the lower the risk of heart attack. And the more grateful people feel, the better they tend to take care of themselves. Gratitude and and positive emotions benefit physical health and stress management. So it's likely to be a really big life extender as well. So just concluding too, so how long you live is a really a complex interaction between genetics and the environment. It's quite individual and nature and nurture 
lifestyle and personality. Now, longevity extends far beyond your genetic predispositions and foods. Don't forget that. Don't think that, you know, um, you've inherited bad genes and, and that's it. This is it for me. Because although those things are certainly important, none of us knows our expiration date. And that's probably a good thing. Regardless of your age, there are many evidence-based strategies that can help you stack the odds in your favor. Now, this um, so this, what I've talked about, actually does provide a good launching point for identifying what your longevity, um, weak spots and strengths might be. So I hope you've enjoyed the show and uh, we'll uh, get back to you next week with another great program. We're 3ABR, 87.6 FM and we're The Wellness Couch and I'm your host, Katarina Morrison. Good night. Hope you've had a great night. Bye-bye.